Welcome to the Zero Traction Podcast with Cameron Miller and James Addison. Are we back? We're back. It works. Okay, good. It operates. It records. We can do this. James is playing Pokemon Go as we walk. No, I'm not. Don't tell everyone I'm playing Pokemon <laughs> Why don't you Go. I'm stop? perfectly. We're, playing, we're recording a podcast. Yeah, I know. Hold on. Let me just incubate these eggs. Yeah. <laughs> <What is that? laughs> Look, I'm taking. I'm making the most of our walk. Okay, we I have just, to walk, and I get bored talking they, about what cars. Is what is it? 2015? Huh? <laughs> what is it? Um, 2018, actually. Was that when it came out? I think so, because I pretty much got it as soon as it came out. Now oh. it's 2018. I think. It says established 2018. So. Lies. You're wrong, Cameron. You're wrong. Very sorry. Anyway, I've stopped now. Okay. Damn, so talk about damn cars. right. Let's talk about some damn cars. Damn cars. How is everyone, by the way? How, how are you all? Good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Were you hoping that someone's walking along, listening, and they go, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Or no. Well, I feel like yeah, we're here to listen to you guys if you, if you are struggling out there. <laughs> World Ends Hill. That's... That's, that's a terrifying looking tree. It's not the isn't official it? name of this of this path. Oh, we've not walked this way before, James. This is new. It's new for you. New for me. Probably not new for you. No, you live it definitely here. isn't. But yes, anyway. Hey, should we not talk five. about cards for the entire time? Should I, we just talk about what we see? I don't feel like that would be in, of any interest to anyone. Well, at nothing any point. seems to be of any interest to anybody because no one's listening to it. Well, James, that's because we're not <laughs> promoting it in any way yet. No, I know. I understand. We'll get there. Anyway, episode five. Episode five. And uh, this in. week, we thought we'd have a bit of a chilled one. Yeah, we're going to chill out this week. We've done... Well, I've still done some research, still done a little bit, still got some topics to talk about. Yeah. But mostly we'll just talk about whatever we want to talk about, whatever's come up. Shall I do some social media um, uh, housekeeping? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so we're on Twitter now, um, at Zero Traction. So follow us on Twitter for some daily updates because i saw a crashed porsche the other day oh and i tweeted about it in real in In real real life yeah i was on my way to work yeah and uh the police had shut a road off and um obviously everyone wants to have a look see what's happened and there was this bright orange porsche cayman gt4 oh um that's wrecked. such a shame. You don't want to see that, do you? It was wrecked through the um, central reservation. Oh. It was all cocked up on one side, like yeah. the wheel had come off, and there was debris all over the road, both sides. So, yeah, poor bloke. He'd obviously been trying to drift the thing. And then got some snap overs. run out of talent. Yeah. And been spiked through the, uh, through the barrier there. Yeah. So. It's a, it's a mid-rear car. Like, it is. You're going to get snap oversteer the you number are. of times that people in these sorts of cars drift it coming out coming off a roundabout yeah. overcorrect and slam it into the central reservation <laughs> uh, i remember a few years ago um i watched someone in an exige do exactly the same thing yeah exactly the same thing come off a roundabout back end came round on them as they turned left off they overcorrected yeah and it suddenly snapped right and slammed them into the central reservation yeah it's not good um it's, just, it's difficult enough just full stop to do yeah. that sort of stuff on that. I mean, you shouldn't be doing it on the public road, really. No. But it is it is difficult yeah. to do that. I mean, I had a moment in an MX-5 um, where I was, you know, having a bit of fun and <laughs> it suddenly gripped the, the steering wheel. Well, I thought it was straight, but it still had half a lock on. <laughs> so I got, you know, taken off into the curb and it deflated my... Uh, it curbed very badly the front left Ooh. wheel and it completely... It sort of tore the tyre off the rim Oh man! On the back, so but luckily I managed to. That was that was all the damage. I didn't break anything no. substantial, so that was all right. We got away with that one. Well, but yeah, I can imagine that was you know it was tricky enough in a front rear drive Mazda MX-5, which exactly. is sort of designed for that sort of thing. So I can't imagine what it must be like when you've got a um, uh, a mid rear on the limit. You know? Yeah. Um, so that's Twitter. We're also on uh, Instagram at zero traction podcast where i post pictures and screenshots of annoying things that i see on social media uh, (laughs) relating to the car industry and i have a bit of a moan about things i feel like this is turning into us just moaning about how terrible the car industry has become and how it's not the same as when we were children well i think that's probably what a lot of people feel isn't it yeah i think our target market is definitely 30s and above yeah from when you remember you know you remember the late 90s and noughties supercars were 
you know, aspirational. Yeah. You know, you could genuinely look forward to maybe owning one of them one day. Yeah. And uh, nowadays, there's just no hope. No, absolutely They've all not. got £5 million price tags. They all get sold immediately because they only make 15 of them. Yeah. To Russian billionaires who just have them because they can. Yeah. And, and then it's store so them so sad they gain value. And so frustrating. Well, I'll tell you what it is. I think it's not so much that that type of car has ceased to exist. It's more that they've added the mega super hypercar on top and then that has become an overpopulated market of car. Yeah. So when we were younger, we were looking at Merchilagos, yeah. Ferrari F50s, yeah. McLaren F1. I guess they're still sort of, they were the verge of hypercar. They, like, but the hypercar market was still not quite so, I, I don't know, overinflated. No. You had maybe the Ferrari Enzo. The Enzo sort of kicked it all off, but then you had Koenigsegg as well. Koenigsegg, the CC, Which yeah. was ridiculous. And when that came out, that was insane. I remember walking to school with you, like, you told me about that, and I just couldn't believe what you were, what you were saying. Yeah. And then Zonda, Pagani and Zonda came around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they sort of took it off as well. So you had ridiculous, you did have a few so hypercars. So I think they were the hypercars. But it was the like day. the big top-end hypercars, and there were a few of them. But nowadays, it's just every two seconds, there's a new yeah. one coming out with yeah. more horsepower. And then suddenly the chase for top speed didn't seem like it was limited to 250 miles an hour. No. It suddenly stretched up to 300. Yeah. With cars that are, as you say, totally unattainable. Yeah, absolutely. But if you think about it, we're now in an era where you can get pretty much 90s supercar performance out of an everyday hatchback. That's a fair point, actually. That is a fair point. So that's what's shifted, I think, is that the whole car performance capabilities of all cars has just shifted upwards. Um, So... Is that that's I guess that's the positive spin on it. It is. It's the, the, pushed it's pushed all the other cars yeah. um, up, hasn't it? It's now perfectly reasonable to expect that you could own a car that could outdo a three five five yeah. easily. Or even a three it'll be on par with a Ferrari three sixty. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. You know, you can have a hot hatchback that costs you thirty, forty thousand pounds. Um you know, going toe-to-toe with a Ferrari 360, mid-engine yeah. Ferrari supercar. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. So that's the shifting landscape. So I guess that's the positive spin. Yeah. I know we like to moan, but that's just because everyone likes to have a moan, don't they? Of course. I don't think that's an issue. Good. No I just hope that when we moan, people agree. Because <laughs> if people disagree, <laughs> that's when we're going to get issues. So there you go. There's the social media housekeeping. Very good. Well, we can... Uh, Shift into the first sort of semi-prepared section if you wanted to. Go. Um, Go. I think it it segues quite nicely from the discussion on mid-rear ownership and what it's like to drive. Because as those who've listened from the very beginning, OG listeners, (laughs) will know, um, I did own a, a 1996 MR2, 10th anniversary edition, and I loved it. It was the best. And it was also mid-rear which was great fun so I thought if you're up for it we could do a deep dive I'd love to yeah yeah thought that'd be good fun cool well when when did I buy this car um I think it was like 2013 around about then yeah I just finished third year at uni I was just going off to do a year in industry and I had decided that I needed to spend every single penny that I'd ever earned doing anything ever on a car and of don't course don't make it sound more expensive than it was no 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 yeah that I mean, that like doesn't make it sound expensive loads. I was 21 22 or something yeah. so it was never going to be an expensive car no it was deeply inexpensive so when I say every money every bit of money I ever had I'm talking 13.50 <laughs> £13.50 whoa that is cheap <laughs> £1,350 bargain because um, of course what I did at the time was you spend Half your day just on Auto Trader or on Piston Heads. Man, still do. Looking exactly. Who does Looking do at that? cars at a certain budget range. Like, Imagine your the... budget. Imagine five. What can I get for five grand? Exactly. Oh, what can I get for ten grand? Oh, let me push it a bit more. What's out there for twelve fifty? Exactly. It's a fun game. We all play this game, and I played it at the time with the money that I had. Obviously, not taking into consideration insurance, not taking Who into does? consideration uh, like just running costs of the car. 
taxing the car, doing anything to do other than just outright buying the car. That was the only thing I considered at the time. So it did immediately put me into some financial difficulties only because I'd stretched myself to the very limit <laughs> immediately by buying it. But at the time, MR2s were cheap, they were numerous. Um, so I had no issue finding one and there were a few 10th anniversaries out there. Um, for those who don't know, the 10th anniversary came out on the MR2's 10th anniversary. No. No way. Limited run. Um, I don't remember how many it was. It was in the hundreds though. Um, 500? No, it was fewer than that. Um, 250. I think it was under 200. What? Under 200. Uh, and I had number 007 in silver. Wow. I had 007. Now the, the difference that you got with the 10th anniversary was you got a wooden steering wheel. Um, you got body colour bumpers and things. So the, the, the Mark 1 and 2 had like black plastic strips on them um, and they had the older style spoiler. Um, whereas the 10th anniversary got some body colour um, panels on them. It had slightly different rims um, and it had an uprated engine. So it got 170 brake rather than the previous 148, I think it was. Whoa. Before that. So a little bit more power. And it was just quite nice, really. I mock you, but the, um, the ST I had had 150 brake horsepower, which was, which was not very nice. Well, exactly. But in your early 20s... It's all right. It's quite a lot, yeah. really. I'd st and I'm, remember, I'm stepping up from a Hyundai Getz here, which had a, probably about 67 brake yeah, horsepower or something. if you were lucky. If you were lucky. So this felt like a massive yeah. step up. Two, uh, two litre, transversely mounted, four cylinder, sat right behind the, right behind the seats delightful um so yeah went out uh bought it from a guy up in bradford so i was living in huddersfield at the time hopped on a train went straight there first car i saw first car i bought as per huge exactly <laughs> well, what i like off, to do to kick off your uh that trend i suppose well, exactly first time we'd done that um had one hundred and six thousand miles um which for a car from 1996 was not actually too bad but for an MR2, you think about it, it's probably quite high mileage, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but my thinking at the time was, it's a Toyota, it'll be fine. Yes. Uh, oh, oh, was I a little bit wrong? <laughs> Were you incorrect there? I wasn't, to be fair, to be fair, I wasn't too wrong. The car didn't go wrong on me all the time. And the bits that did go wrong were never like catastrophic engine failure. The car has eaten itself and unlike the S3, which we'll come to another day. Oh dear. Um, it never did that. It did just do little things that went wrong. So after owning it for a few months and needing to replace the back box, so from the cat onwards, um, I put a decat on it and a new back box, Mongoose exhaust yes. system. Oh, that thing was amazing. It sounded really good. I loved good. that. <laughs> the last two or 300 revs were just, it sort of hit a new level. Yeah. And it just made me just, get so excited <laughs> every time you did that. It sounded fantastic. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, but it obviously then just never passed any MOTs. So no. I had a decat on it for about a year before the next MOT came up, at which point I had to put another cat back on it. Um, Sad. But that was in the time when I was part of the motor club at uni. So we did it ourselves. That was actually really fun, um, sticking up on some, uh, some things. What do you call them? Axle stands. Yeah. And then... Uh, Swapping out the back box, swapping out the cat. Relatively easy, but still quite fun to do. Um, there was actually, an, on, the, on the subject of MOTs, it was, because it's so barely passed, or it would commonly not pass, um, there was an MOT garage in Huddersfield that I would take it to, who would just cheekily pass it anyway. <laughs> Everyone's got that fun little you've garage. Got to, you've got to have a guy like yeah. that at some point, if you're a car enthusiast, just in case, you know. Exactly. He'd charge like 25 quid and then yeah. be like, yeah, it's fine. And then it would pass. And then it would be all good. You know, you take the emissions tester and you just stand 20 metres back from the exhaust <laughs> and test it from there instead of where it should be tested. So it was, oh, it was an absolute riot. But um, so things that went wrong, I took it to Silverstone for a taster track day. So this is before I did any proper track days. I thought, you know what, it's probably worthwhile actually just trying this out and seeing what it's like. And it, you can do these taster track days where you turn up on track and they've got like rolling sessions of like 45, no, is it 45 minutes? Yeah, something like that. And you can just hop out on track and do a few laps and you go out a couple of times. Um, it costs, 
under 100 quid. It, it was a hell of a lot cheaper than a full track day. Not good value for money in comparison to doing a full track day, but a lot, a lot cheaper if you just want to see what it's like. Um, so I went out on track and uh, was overtaking a golf down the straight, locked up going into the first corner and it just, the ABS gave up on me completely at that point. So the wheel, one of the wheels locked and the others didn't and no. it just snapped and span immediately going into that corner. So, uh, and that ruined the ABS. So from then on, it had an ABS light on pretty much permanently. Um, so this is why I've never done a track day. What? Because you're worried that you'll break I your just car. Don't, I've never been in a position to afford anything if it does go wrong. Well, all like I did, new James. tires or new brakes, you know, I just have never been able to have, you know, I'm in a better position now. I could definitely track a car now, but now I don't have a car to track. <laughs> Except for the course. You don't want to track the MR2? And not even the Mazda 2, I mean? No, I don't. Well, that's Funny a shame. Enough. Well, I, um, at the time, I basically decided that what I'd do is uh, ignore it. Oh, okay. So I could do that. And it, it meant that I did have a few dicey situations where I had to become my own ABS. Oh. Um, which was an interesting challenge. I remember driving home from seeing, so I used to go see my girlfriend. Um, she was in Warwick and I was in Loughborough and it's not, it's just all country roads, quite a fun little drive. And driving down one of these country roads at like 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday, pitch black. So I've got my headlights on, I'm just absolutely ragging the crap out of the car going around these country roads. I come round a corner and all I see is brake lights. So it's, it's like bushes, so you couldn't see around the corner. I came yeah. round, all I see is brake lights everywhere. And I had to slam on the brakes. The car locks up because the ABS is yeah. ruined. Um, and it's skidding. So I had to pump the brakes so that yeah. I could direct the car. So I didn't hit the rear end of the car in front. Came skidding round to the right-hand side of the car. So I was on the opposite side of the road and just stopped next to the car. So if I had not pumped the brakes, yeah. I'd have just slammed into the rear of the car yeah. in front. So that was an important lesson well, you in got out of that one, didn't you? why you need ABS in cars. Yeah. <laughs> and why I needed to get that fixed. But yeah, that was like six months after I'd broken it already. So I've been driving around with no ABS at that point because as you say, I couldn't afford to fix yeah. it and I couldn't be bothered. And I just thought, kick that can further down the road. That's future Cameron's <laughs> problem. <laughs> That's not an issue for now. And then, so at that point, that was like a wake up call. Yeah. And another six months later, I got that fixed. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, ABS went on a track day. Uh, what else? I had intermittent cooling problems. Um, turns out what had been happening was, because it's a mid-rear, the radiator is at the front of the car and the engine's at the back. So the pipes to send the coolant around the car have to travel the entire length of the car. And that gives you quite a lot of piping for there to be issues and leaks and problems. And that was commonly an issue for me. Rusted bits, holes, things not draining properly, stuff just, I think I had huge amounts of coolant loss all the time. <laughs> and uh, there was a point basically after, to be fair, I'd owned the car a couple of years. And then I started to get these problems in, mm. in, a, in like, to the point where I wasn't getting to work. Like, I remember once I was driving along the M4. I used to live in Shepherd's Bush and commute out to Heathrow. And driving down the M4, I suddenly watched the temperature gauge go from normal range to skyrocket. Just suddenly up it went. The car started to make some very odd noises. I pulled off literally at the junction where I come off for work, coasted down as the engine went and just died on me. Coasted to the bottom, pulled off to the left, and just off the left there, is a um, one of those highway patrol stations where you get the people with like the the, the not traffic officers. Oh yeah, um, where they basically store their cars. So I just pulled into that basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice and convenient. Go out, and then there was just a whole bunch of those highway patrol people came over to try and assist me not block their driveway. Oh. Uh, had to get the A out. Yeah, that happened several times. Most of the time, it would happen before I could even leave in the morning <laughs> and I'd have to get the AA out and I'd have to drive Lara's car in and she'd have to get the train and it was just a whole nightmare. 
Um, eventually got that fixed and decided it's probably about time that I become a, an adult, buy an adult car <laughs> and uh, um, sell it on. So I put it up online, uh, 10th anniversary, took some good photos. I put it up for 1400 so 50 quid more than I bought it for, um, and immediately got enormous amounts of interest. But like people were asking me loads of questions about it. You know, did it have service history? Absolutely not, because I didn't look after it very well. Um, tried to do it all myself, changed some belts, all that kind of stuff, but obviously didn't do the greatest job of that. But people were still interested. Ended up selling it to, for, for asking, I ended up selling it to a guy in Germany who said, right, I will be flying over within the week. Well, within a couple of days, I bought a flight. Um, if you meet me in the, car, in the car park at Heathrow, I'll give you cash and then I'll drive it back to Germany. So, what a nutter. So I drove to Heathrow thinking, like, worst case, he doesn't show up. I don't really know what yeah. could be the worst case here. So Lara followed me. We drive up, pull up in the car park. He turns up, comes out. Really lovely chap says, oh yeah, he basically loves MR2s. He owns a bunch of them. They're really hard to get hold of in Germany and they go for a lot of money on the secondhand market in Germany. And he wanted to buy one for his girlfriend for their 10th anniversary. So he was oh buying a God. 10th anniversary MR2 for his so girlfriend for her romantic. 10th anniversary. I know, deeply. He already owns like three of them. And this was, this was going to be a fourth to wow. add his, his collection. Uh, just handed over the money first car I'd ever sold so I was like online looking up what I should do when I'm selling a car <laughs> uh, printed off like a proper official looking receipt with my names and the amount of yeah. money we were going to exchange for handed over the logbook and everything and off he went he drove it back to Germany and I got a text from him being like yeah it cocked out halfway through France <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and I was like oh no <laughs> What are you going to do? Come and, come and get me yeah. from France? Um, and uh, yeah, so now it, it's probably scrapped, to be honest. But yeah. it, it lived a little while in Germany anyway. That's kind of sad that it didn't... I always have this romantic notion of reconnecting with past cars. Um, and just knowing they're in the country means that one day you may see that car again. You did see like some of your older cars, haven't you? Driving I always around? do a little bit of research and... Um, because I can remember all the number plates yeah. for my cars and you can find some websites that sort of tell you how many miles they've got on them and stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the Mini, the little classic Mini I sold was, um, that's still going and it's got like, it, I sold it with about 8,000 miles on it because of the mileage had been reset because the engine had been uh -huh. replaced. Yeah, yeah. So the chassis I think was already done over 100,000 miles, but the, um, the clock read 8,000. So, um, I think that had been up there. That's done about 39,000 miles now. Wow. Which is so nice to, to know that it's out there being driven. and Yeah, yeah. You never know one day. Well, you, wanna, you might want to buy it back off the person. Oh, I'd love to see it. it again. Yeah, I'd literally just see it again. Yeah. Not sure I'd buy it. It was riddled with issues. <laughs> I mean, um, what classic Mini isn't? That's true. That is true. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I'm never going to get that with the m never get it's, that. Uh, it's now got its permanent home in in Germany, but I thought it was quite quite cool. That's One a cool of the story. Funny little quirk of it. Um, Lara cried when she saw it drive away. Oh, what? Yeah. This is the this is the uh, woman who uh, was uh, incredibly irritated. Told me to sell it. Always annoyed that we had to go to the garage. <laughs> we spent more time calling the AA than anyone else. Yeah. She was just generally irritated by its existence. Yeah. Um, so she, uh, she, 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 having been so negative about the car for so long, then missed it enormously as she yeah, wants to drive away. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. So she's not been attached to any of my other cars. She gets attached to things. She's like, she'll tell you herself. She still owns the Mazda 2 that she's owned since she bought it nearly new in 2013. She still drives it. She still loves it. It's so annoying because it has no of the modern, none of the modern mod cons that you'd want to do the sort of commuting that she does, which she does like an hour either way to and back from Southampton. And she will be doing that more when lockdown lifts, but she does it once a week at the moment. 
and she just complains about how she has no Bluetooth, <laughs> how it has really inadequate heating. It's really loud, so it's noisy on motorways because it's got no sound deadening whatsoever. Nah, you haven't got to tell me. Uh, no, you own one, <laughs> I so do own you, one. Know the, you know all the pitfalls of the Mazda 2. Uh, oh, listeners, listeners. <laughs> right, we're in car enthusiasts, right? So I said, I, I, I wanted to get rid of my um, Mazda MX-5 and I asked this guy, I said, what's the Mazda 2 like? Yeah. And he was like, great, he sung its praises. For, for what you want it for, but like, I still love the car. It still drives really well for a car in its class. Disagree. It does. Disagree. It's not, it may not be as good as a Fiesta, but the Fiesta's are way more expensive. But so what he do you said, want? Yeah, it's great. You for the money. It. It's amazing. So I went and bought one and I hate it. It's <laughs> terrible. It's so floaty. It's because you're comparing it to some, you're not comparing it to the right cars. But it's got no steering feel. No car in that class has steering feel unless you want to spend more money or get an older car. That's not true. It is true. I'm sure plenty of cars out there have hydraulic steering with actual hydraulic steering feel. Not you does electric, that have electric steering? I think so. I don't think it does. Well, it's so light. There's no weight to it. It must be electronically yeah, assisted. It's just heavily assisted. So well, many little, little super minis are heavily assisted steering. It's just the norm. Oh, it's just so terrible. It isn't. It is. Listeners, it isn't. <laughs> Listeners, it's, do not uh, buy one. <laughs> Although it is got, very, very cheap. It's, it's cheap to run. And it is it's, great. It's got... It's still quite fun. It's still quite chuckable. It's quite light. It's got a sporty feel. The nose does like to dip in. It is quite mm. fun. See, I don't know. I disagree with you there. But if you... I don't know. I've driven enough crappy cars as higher cars to make the Mazda feel quite nice. Yeah. Like, it's, it is a little bit sportier. It has a little bit of a lean towards the sportiness in comparison to some other cars in that class. It's just that you are comparing it to Fiesta STs. Cars that are really not meant to be compared to this yeah, well, at all. I'm not stupid. I know <laughs> that it's not going to be like a Fiesta ST. I'm not comparing it, I'm not saying, oh, this is nowhere near as good an ST. It's rubbish. It's just, I don't think, I think they could have done a better job with it. But not for the money. I think just the basic setup could be better for the same money. I don't think so. I just think it's too, there's just no feel. Yeah. But if you were to make it with more feel, then it would appeal to a less broad market. Because most people don't want steering feel in that way that you do. No. So. You just don't know. You just don't know what the, what the car's doing, basically. When you, turn, when you turn the wheel, Yeah. it does. It either understeers or it grips more than you think it will. And it's just... But that's the It experience. doesn't give you any response. That's the experience in so many cars. That's yeah, like no, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I'm not just singling cars. out the, um, the Mazda 2 saying it's terrible, don't buy one. Because yeah. it's really cheap to run, yeah. to insure, to tax, all of those things. It does really well. The things that you buy a Mazda 2 for, yeah. it does really well. And I put a Bluetooth stereo in it, so I've got Bluetooth. Yeah. So that's good. And it's, it means I can save a load of money to go towards an Something actual more good car. Yeah later on down the line. Yeah. Well, so I think it's, that's what the thing, I, I, reckon, I recommended it to you because you drive not enormous distances. Yeah, that's true. And you were looking to, as a stopgap car, it didn't need to have a big engine. It didn't need to do anything particularly crazy. And short of going for something incredibly cheap, which is potentially not gonna be any near as reliable, this was a good sort of option to go for in that price bracket range. Yeah, if, I mean, if you're looking to save some money, then it's, it is good. Yeah, it's not it going to devalue anymore. It's no. like, it is the price it is, and that's where that's it sits it. now. Yeah. And as long as it's got a decent service history, someone else could buy that as their first car Yeah. and continue to run it forever because it's, it's a Mazda with an incredibly understressed 1.3. Like yeah. It's just a really <laughs> easy car to own. Um, so yeah, but anyway, Lara's commutes now are an hour plus and that's both ways into Southampton and she's getting annoyed with it on the motorways because it's not a pleasant place to be for no. long journeys on a motorway. Um, so she's, she's now going to step up, but she can't bring herself to, even though she should have done years ago, she can't bring herself to because she's so attached. She's so attached to this car. She's named it. It's like... <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> I don't it's, even know this. I do. It's, it's called Mufasa. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Why? Um, 
What What's the reasoning behind that? Because it was funny at the time. Oh. This is what I mean. It was 2013. No, but are there particular characteristics between... No, no? none whatsoever. So you just wanted to call it Mufasa? No. We're in our early 20s. It was funny at the time. It okay. just felt so random. And then it stuck and we quite liked it. So that's okay. the name of the car. Nice. But she's, she's still obsessed with this car. I've shifted through three or four cars <laughs> in the time that she's owned this one. And now she's nearly 30 and still driving her, her first car to her job. You know, like... She's a professional. She, she, she can yeah. probably do with changing it up, but because she's so attached. So she did the same thing to the MR2. I didn't realise that she'd got so attached to it that she then was crying when it was driving away. She didn't care that the S3 blew up. No. She is not going to be sad to see the Megane Well, go. listen, no one had enough time to get grow attached to the S3, <laughs> that's let's be honest. True. That's true. They had all of nine months. Nine <laughs> not even months. a year, and it had blown up. It had blown up. Oh, excellent. Twice. Oh, God. Yeah, so and again, she, um, I will be very sad to see go, and I will too. And I'm kind of delaying putting it um, yeah. up online, even though it's ready to go. It's just a thing of beauty as well. I just absolutely love that shape, McGann. Yeah. I think they uh, they nailed it. Yeah, I love it, and I bet you just love coming out and seeing it on the drive. I don't because it just reminds me of all the money I've sunk into it. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> and how I'm not currently driving it anyway. <laughs> it's just sitting there, not doing anything. I could probably do with taking it out a couple of times yeah. for a drive, just to make sure that it's still ticking over. I've washed it. That's about oh, that's well about all I've done recently. But yeah, so no, she's not going to be seeing. She's not going to be unhappy to see that go. So yeah, so MR2. Yeah, that's 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 my story in the MR2. There's there's a. I could talk a bit more about the background on the car itself. Some interesting quirks, actually. Some interesting facts about the MR2 I think will be quite fun to talk about. So um, things I, in my research, I found out that I didn't realise. They made a Le Mans GT1 class racer out of the MR2. And so GT1 is in like the McLaren F1 GTR, the Mercedes CLK AMG GTR, the Toyota GT1, the Porsche GT1. It competed in that class against them. Wow. Do you remember this car? No, absolutely not. I had no idea. No. It was called the MC8R, I think it is. Wow. Um, and it's a stretched, uh, widened MR2 with a V8, 4-litre <laughs> V8. Oh, wow. Um, and it competed in the, in the GT1 class at Le Mans and did really not well at all. <laughs> it was an awful... It was a, such an underperformer. But I didn't, and I, it, that's the reason it's kind of fallen out of the radar is because obviously it just didn't do very well. Yeah. It's not as popular as the Le Mans winning F1 McLaren um, because it's, it didn't win anything. It came like 37th in, <laughs> in, the, in Le Mans and things like that. But it ran for a few years. So look it up. And it has a road going version as well. Oh, nice. So, um, but the road going version, obviously, because of that era, which I will talk about another time and won't talk about here. Uh, they had to have road-going homologated versions of these top-end, effectively Le Mans prototypes. Yeah. Um, there's a road-going version of it, but it's never seen the light of day. It basically was released, bought by some Japanese collector, and it's been squirreled away in his collection. And I think there was a sighting of it in 2015, but otherwise, it's just no one knows where it is or what it does. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, they did that. They made a... Of the Mark One, so the first generation, the boxy one from the 80s, uh, they made a Group B rally car right. out of that. Okay. But just as Group B died. Oh. So it never raced. But if you look that up, it looks amazing. <laughs> and it is a proper Group B rally car. It looks like the Ford, you know, the RS200. Yes. Is that what it's called? RS2 or 2000? I think it might be 2000. Uh, did they make both? Was the 200 the road going version? I think the 200 was maybe even like the old Escort. Yeah, I don't want to make a fool out of myself. No, we're, we're, we're saying wrong things. We know they both exist, we just can't really picture what they no, are at the I moment. I think it's the RS2000. Yeah. And uh, that was a Groupie Rally car. Um, and it was, yeah, it looks a bit like that. It looks quite a lot like that, yeah. actually. Similar layout, obviously, mid rear drive, um, sorry, <laughs> mid four wheel drive. Uh, so yeah, that was that was destined to race, but then obviously Group B died. Yeah, and that was it. So uh, unfortunately, oh what a what a no shame. No MR2 rally car. They did do the uh, TRD 
2000 GT. True. So um, TRD, obviously popular Toyota tuning company, took the Toyota MR2, the 90s one, the one that I owned, yeah. and stuck a huge widened body kit on it. And then they would take customer orders for what they wanted to be done to the car. So basically TRD said, if you give us enough money, we'll do whatever you want to your MR2. Um, so as a result, no TRD 2000 GT is the same. Oh, that's amazing. So if you see a wide body MR2 out there with the big spoiler, it could have 500 brake horsepower, like really actually 500 brake horsepower, <laughs> or it could have barely above 200 from the same block. Because <laughs> um, they, uh, they took the turbo MR2, which was released in Japan, and just allowed customers to basically specify what they wanted done to it. Yeah. But then they stuck this body kit. I, it was basically to commemorate the, um, the JGTC MR2 race car yeah. and make a road-going version of it. And it looks awesome. It looks so good. And the only reason you'd see one in the UK is um, if it's been imported because you couldn't, you couldn't get it over here. Um, but through owning one, I had a friend at my year in industry who used to race them um, in the MR2 race series. And uh, the owner of the race team that he raced for, who specialised in MR2s, um, they owned one. Then they had the three-litre Camry V6 conversion. So it looked like a JDT race car, had a three-litre V6 Camry in it. Oh, it was good. And that was actually a popular upgrade you could do to them, was to swap the engine out, because the engine bay had just enough room if you chopped into the boot. You could convert the MR2 into a three litre V6 right. um, from the Toyota Camry. And it, it didn't give it a huge amount more power. No. I think it took it up to like 230 um, because the, the Camry V6 is once again quite a detuned car because it yeah. goes in the Camry, which is obviously a Japanese and American market, quite low powered sedan. So it's not, it's not exactly a sports car, but you stick it in something small and lightweight and it goes, it really goes. Yeah, I can imagine it does. And quite reliably as well. So that's quite a popular conversion that people do. Um, I remember fantasizing about doing that, but it cost about two grand to do. Oh, which doesn't seem like too much these days. It doesn't, that, no. That seems like it might almost be worth it if you had yeah. one still. <laughs> like if you were looking to get some longevity out yeah. of the car, getting a bit bored by how Because an exhaust system for your M140i will be around the same as that, maybe even yeah. more. Yeah, it would two be. Two and a half, three grand, including a remap. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that sounds a bit more appealing to me to get an actual engine replacement. Yeah, full-on swap. Yeah. It's apparently very easy. Very, very easy to do. Well, if you know what you're if doing. You know, I, was I say. wouldn't do it myself. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the MR2 was underpowered, definitely. It, it's, um, I remember I had a friend who had a 1.8... SRI Astra from the early 2000s. So I don't know why I laugh then. <laughs> you, yeah, you literally own... I've got the Corsa You version. own the Corsa with the same engine. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, At least it's in a smaller car, though. It is. And it absolutely ruined the MR2. Like, it left, it left me behind. I had no chance so of keeping sad. up. That's so sad. <laughs> it's the thing I was talking to you about the other day. About, what? you know, anyone just being able to go into any dealership and coming out with a car that's faster than something that you've you've done research over you know you've chosen because of the way it drives well and someone can just go and buy an astra and just blow you away <laughs> this doesn't make sense to be fair it was like the uh, the 1.8 sri was meant to be a little bit sporty it was meant to have yeah, that kind know, of sportiness but... to it um you know it was like the two-door coupe-ish yeah hatchback but yeah so it was very slow it really was but it turned heads i remember um driving around and pulling up at the lights yeah looking over and there were a bunch of uh, Chinese tourists who then turned around, you know, by the Oracle. Yeah. When you don't drive over the IDR, right, you go yeah, right you go next down. to where the John Lewis thing is. Yeah. So turning right onto London Road where the lights are there and there's that big mural on the yeah. wall. They were by that taking pictures of the mural and then they turned around and saw my car and then all of them started taking photos of my car. What? I was suddenly like, Are you sure what? it wasn't you? 
No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I was wearing a full clown outfit. Oh. No, obviously, it was, they, they were very interested in the car. I remember that being the highlight of, well, even up to now. I'm mentioning the story because it's still a highlight. <laughs> but, it, yeah, it, you know, you'd have people walk up to you at petrol stations and talk to you about it. And, and also, yeah. it's worth saying that it didn't feel slow when you no. were on your own in it. When we were no. both in it, you know, going quickly around B-Rose, yeah. which is, you know, what it's designed for. Yeah. Perfect for Britain. It was fantastic. It really was. Especially with that mongoose exhaust. It sounded quicker car. than it was. I loved it. I don't think I ever drove it either. Did you not? No, which is really sad. No, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it was dicey in the wet. Yeah. It was, in the dry, planted. Really yeah. great. In the wet, I span it. I span it a couple of times. Yeah, Once, scary. If you've, uh, if you've ever been to Huddersfield, there's a ring road quite a tight, small ring road around Huddersfield because it's not a big town. And as you come off, there's a really tight spiral which spirals you back over the ring road. And I took that at some speed in the wet and full 360 span the thing because <laughs> it just liked to rotate. And I remember driving it in the snow and it wanted to go engine first, so spin 180. Um, because even when you were driving in a straight line, I remember being overtaken by an old woman in a Yaris <laughs> because I had to go that slowly in the, in the snow. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah, see, that's was... where the MX-5 was better yeah. when it was snowing and really icy. It loved the balance of that car on those icy cold roads and in the snow. You could really control it because it was so well balanced. Yeah. The engine at the front, rear wheel drive, you could just control it a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, I had a bit too much fun in my car park <laughs> when it snowed. I had that car. I miss. I do miss that. Yeah, it was a great drive. Oh man, small, lightweight, two-seater Japanese cars. Yeah. It's the way to go. It's definitely something you should you should do at least once in your life. Yeah, definitely. Or on that line, car I would love to own. S two thousand. Yes. How many times life. have we discussed an S two thousand? Oh man. And we're going to do it again now. Yeah, it was in my price bracket range where I got the Beamer, but yeah. it's just not quite practical enough. It's no. just, it would be a step in the wrong direction, but it would. one day, because it's just so good. Well, aren't they making a new one? Are they actually? I think they might oh. be. I had no That's idea. all I know about it. I don't know. You don't know anything else about it? Oh, okay, not. fair enough. I, don't. I just, I remember seeing um, some, some pictures of it, you know, some renderings. Yeah. And it did look amazing. But I just, oh yeah, it's, the older one is what you want. That's the one you want. It's just, they, there's that combination, and it's so loved by everybody. It is loved. It's held its value very, very well. So I mean, if you well. get a sub 100,000 miler, yeah. it will be, you know, nearly nearly 10,000, I would, I would imagine, for a good one. Yeah. It's up there at 10,000. I mean, the engines alone, a 100,000 mile engine on its own is probably two and a half, three thousand miles. Yeah, I, this was, that was exactly what I was, you took the words out of my mouth. There That's, you go. Used prices on those engines is ridiculous, because yeah. those VTEC two liters are just bulletproof. Boom. Boom. Instinct. Unbelievable that they, uh, that they can do and they go for that price even with 100,000 miles. So, Just to compare that, the MX-5 1.8 VVTi, that goes for 200 quid. <laughs> you can get an engine for 200 quid. Can you actually? Yeah, 100%. But that, that's, it's kind of annoying at the same time because the, uh, you almost want your engine to go so you can be like, yeah, well, I've got a new one for 200 quid. My engine was tapping. Quid. You know, with the tap-it problem, I'm sure MX-5 owners out there will understand what I mean when I say the tap-its. Yeah. Um, when it's just, you know, you turn it on, it's just ticking, tick, 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 on tick over. Yeah. And it just carries on ticking the entire time. Yeah. It's so frustrating. Um, and I was just like, should I just buy a new engine? I'll just buy a 200 quid engine and then get someone to fit it. How long is it going to take to fit an engine? A day? A day's labour? <laughs> Three, 400 quid? Yeah, it's not. So it's like five, 600 pounds for a brand new, well, not brand new, obviously, but, a, you know, a different engine. Yeah. Hopefully without a tap-it issue. It's like um, the people who own the RX-8s. And they oh just my accept God, that every two years you're going to have to do a full engine replacement. <laughs> yeah, a full engine rebuild. Why and not? It'll, you'll just spend like, what is it? I think Matt's It's like 1,500 it. quid for an RX-8. Yeah, and that's all in. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, it's so cheap. <laughs> engine and like, it, it is about the same as you paid for the car up front yeah. to then swap the engine out. But yeah. RX-8 owners do it because <laughs> they love the RX-8. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the engine's rated for like 60,000 yeah. miles or something stupidly low like that, and then it needs full rebuild. Yeah. Oh, stupid. It's crazy. But, but yeah, the S2000... So the S2000... Would be amazing to own. I just... Every time I'm in a place where I think, 
because I've, I've twice now been at the point where I thought S2000 is just about on the horizon yeah. price-wise. And it was when I was buying the Megane and when I bought the M40, both times I've ended up taking a little bit more practicality over it because... But that is literally it. Yeah. That's 100% the reason I've not gone for it is because each time having the extra seats in the back and an actual usable boot has been more important. Okay, well, I may ask you this. Yeah. Why didn't you go with a Civic Type R with the same engine? Because... And more seats and more practicality. Because of that thing we were talking about last week, which is along the same lines as why do I feel the need to want to modify my car but I don't want to outwardly appear like a chav. I see. Because unfortunately the Type R has a slight reputation for that kind of thing. And the Type R's that were within budget were the, um, oh, you know the numbers, don't the you? The FN2? The, the ones that were like, the one that Matt owned. Oh. Is that the EK? The EP3. EP3, there you go. Look at you with your oh, man, knowledge. I, know it. I, I don't know, know these things. Um, was the EP3, and that looks a little... I mean, it was great because when, when, when we went out with Matt in his, it sounded amazing. But yeah, it's also, it's still got that Civic granny driving position. Yeah. And that, like with the gear stick up to your left <laughs> in front of you, yeah. on the, or basically on the dashboard, and the steering like is almost angled like a yeah. truck a bit. It, there was just, it, didn't, it felt like a very compromised driving position. Yeah. But the car drove amazingly. I drove it at um, a track day because uh, I let Matt have a go in the um, Megane, yeah. and I had a go in the Type R, and it Feels was... Feels much more like a race car. Oh, it was amazing. It's naturally aspirated, um, two-litre, oh. red line at 8,000 RPM. Yeah. So you're up there, you're in VTEC all the time, and yeah. it does feel like a race car, doesn't it? it and you feel so on top of the front good. wheels, you know, you feel on top of the car, you feel yeah. like it's under, under your control, which is exactly how you want to feel when With you're driving a, a car With a front-wheel drive like hatchback, yeah. It was... The most ludicrous thing. I, I love driving my Megane, and my, my Megane was quicker. Yeah. But it, it, it lost out in fun factor to the Type R. Okay. Because the noise, it was like raspy. Yeah. And then that sh immediate shift, as you, as you hit the, uh, the cam change, the VTEC cam change. Yeah. Like, bah, yeah. It's... it's like a step change. Yeah. And it well, it literally is a bolt getting fired through the cams. So it lifts the cams up yeah. and you get just more of everything. <laughs> it's fantastic. That's why it's such, oh. a, it's such a perfect mechanical change. Yeah. It's so noticeable. And, you know, you can really amplify that with, um, with some, you know, easy modifications. Yeah. Like an exhaust or a manifold or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but let me, let me put this to you then. If the Civic's too chavvy, in your opinion... Yeah. Um, what about an Integra DC5? Because uh, the Japanese, they're import all import. Only. They're import. Why is that a bad thing? Because it makes it so. There's a few things with imports. We could probably do another one on this, but isn't um, maybe I, I don't really know enough about it. But as far as I was aware, it's harder to get parts for imports. Insurance is a bit more difficult, and you have dubious history because you don't necessarily have the proper history from Japan when it was brought over. Um, and yeah, so it's just a bit, I resale, it's resale is more one. difficult as well. It's difficult to find, um, examples with all those boxes ticked, I suppose. Exactly. Cause so I, really I never did that. I only ever did quotes for it. Like, um, I only ever, you know, found the cheapest DC five I could find on yeah. AutoTrader, do an insurance thing for it. And it was always not too much more, to be honest. It was always yeah. two or 300 pounds more than a Civic with the exact same engine. Right. Okay. But you know, it had 20 or 30 horsepower more. You know, it came from Japan. Yeah. It's a cool story and it looks much more unique. You're right. And I, I did, I also was looking at like the, um, oh, what was it? The Accord Euro R. Oh yes. Did that have the, did that have a V6? No, that was the same engine. Same engine. Um, and it looked, uh, it looks so good. <laughs> Such a good looking car. Uh, but once, I don't know, don't know what's preventing me from going down the JDM route. Yeah. Because you get you get aircon in cars that didn't you have aircon. You yeah. get an uprated engine. Yeah. Um, you Especially get more Japan, interesting variants. They look the, better. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I think the two the, the DC five has two. I think I want to say two hundred and twenty horsepower, two two six or something like that. Yeah. And the EP three Civic in this country was one nine nine or something like that. So yeah. you do get a twenty or thirty horsepower more. Yeah. Um, and a car with the exact same better. engine, and it looks a bit better. I think it's. Yeah. 
There's a garage just down the road that specializes in Integras. Yeah. Um, in Fleet, they've got the whole car park of just Integras. Yeah. So, and I, in terms of selling it on, I mean, you'd have to just find somebody that wants the wanted same thing. one. Yeah, and like you do, like well, like we did. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's something I would absolutely love to it do. It feels like a risk. Maybe as a second car. Maybe one day when I have enough drive space mm. and more money, and I can justify two-car ownership because currently two-car ownership is ruining me. Yeah. Um, mainly because the Megane has cost me a whole bunch, but you know the insurance is twice as much because yeah. both of them are performance cars, and I'm taxing two cars. And yeah, and it's silly like, if you're not driving the Megane at all. I'm not driving the Megane anywhere wasting, near. You're wasting money then, aren't you? Completely. So. Well, it's a consideration for me in the future because I'm, you know, I've got this Mazda 2, yeah. you know, to save money for a house, which is not too far away now. And when that happens, I'll have a clear understanding of what I can actually afford. Yeah. And my options are open. I'm thinking classic Mini. Yeah. I'm thinking Integra DC5 because I would just absolutely love to finally own one. I've loved them for a long, long time now. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Always going on about. Well, okay. I would JDM. love you to own one. Let's yeah. put it that way. I, I'm sure you would, yeah. You'd love to <laughs> take that on track, wouldn't you? To indirectly be able to have yeah. to deal with, you know, not have to deal with any of the problems. Yeah. Or not that it'll have any problems. To be fair, most JDM cars don't get riddled with issues because no. so many Japanese cars are reliable. And, and to be fair, it does share a lot of parts with the Civic it, in this country, which is why do. it does make more sense to import that sort of car. I'm being persuaded. <laughs> I'm being persuaded. I don't know. Maybe it's just like I'd, I'd read an article once, which was relatively negative about yeah. the experience, and the, you know, or at least cautionary. And I've taken that to heart now, and I've I've not really updated my opinion on it. So maybe, well, maybe it's a pain in the ass to import one yourself. Maybe that's what that was about. Yeah. If you buy one with the with the correct appropriate history, yeah, and it's it was imported, let's say two or three years ago, it's only been in the UK for two or three years. There's some Japanese history. Yeah. There's some British history. That might be a, a genuine consideration because you're just buying a, a used car in England then. Yeah. You're not in, going through the hassle of importing it and waiting eight weeks or however long it takes for the ship to bring your car over. Well, there was a whole episode uh, on the Late Break Show about importing a car from the US. Really interesting listen, but it did put me off completely. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a big, big process. So much of it was like you get a relationship with the person who does the important for you and they have a relationship with these people and you end up building up a network of people that can help you get the car over but why do you want a network oh. of people helping you get the car over <laughs> i don't want i try and avoid relationships with people as much as possible <laughs> it just seems like an effort it just seems like a lot of thing a lot of stuff to it get does. involved with to try the and great do. thing about jdm is that the you know the steering wheel is on the correct side for this country yeah which you don't get with usa yeah that's true the indicator is on the correct side as well <laughs> On the right-hand side, so you can change gear and indicate at the same time. Yeah, your import MX-5 had that. I my, loved um, it. My MR2 had that as well. It wasn't import, but it should be that all way around. MR2s were that way. Yeah, definitely should be that way around. So yeah, uh, if, for those of you who don't know, the indicator stalks are switched on JDM cars. So the indicator stalk is on the right-hand side of the steering wheel as you as you sit in the car. So, so you your can turn wipers and stuff are on the, indicate on the left. and change gear all, all at the same, same time. time, which is exactly what you're doing. And when you're cruising on the motorway and you've got your right hand on the steering wheel, you can easily indicate and switch lanes. Yeah. Without lifting your left hand up and indicating that way. Yeah. Which is tiresome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't want to put any extra strain on ourselves. No, we do not. I want to relax in my in my modified DC5. Yeah. On the motorway. That'd be cool. Would be cool. I'm very tempted now. Every time I talk about these things, I'm just like, why don't I do it? It's less than <laughs> 10 grand. Just go and do it. Oh, man. One day. I will. I'm, you know, I might. I might just do that. Yeah. It's going to be a more difficult sell to the partner yeah. than a classic Mini, which she loves. And she loves the idea of me getting a classic Mini again. Oh, she's actually on board with Oh, that. yeah, 100%. Yeah. Man. And, you know, as long as I can afford it. And she says, you know, get me a house first and <laughs> get whatever the hell car you want. I don't care as long as I can Have come home to a nice house. So that is the, that's the first yeah. and foremost thing. Well, okay. Maybe there's a bit of like, you want both. But you could do both over time. Yeah. There's no reason you couldn't own the Mini for a while, sell it on, get a DC5 yeah. or the other way around. I think, I think a classic Mini is more of a long-term thing based on the appreciation. 
Yeah. Um, they're, they're far more likely to appreciate because they are appreciating right now. Yeah. Um, so I think nabbing one while you can, taking care of it, you know, as long as you've got the budget to take care of it, yeah. then you're all right. I say got the budget, it's really not expensive to take care. You know, parts for minis are so cheap. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you know where to look. Um, you know, and most of it's all nuts and bolts and you can probably do it yourself if you've got a bit of common sense. Yeah, um, and a guide online of some form. Yeah, some sort of... Oh, there's definitely plenty of those sorts of guides, aren't there? Yeah. People taking the time but to... But this, this brings me on to something I've um, wanted to mention for a while. Oh, yeah. It's how expensive, boring, normal cars are yeah. to repair based on... Um, uh, compared to, you know, classic minis, for example. Um, my boss has a very exciting Ford Mondeo Estate oh. titanium 2-litre diesel... Which, by the way, you Automatic. were talking about all the positives of the other day. Well, I was. But anyway, we'll move but on. But anyway, when <laughs> it goes wrong, it is very, very expensive. Because he's got the power shift automatic transmission. And Is that it, the name of the Ford Auto shift? The power shift. The power yeah. shift. Yeah. Power shift. Power shift. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got the auto box. And um, it's been fine up until a few weeks ago where... It was throwing up an error code on, yeah. the, on the, the screen. Yeah. And he went and got it checked. And uh, there were multiple things it could be, but the worst case scenario was it was going to need a gearbox replacement. Yeah. And um, yeah, on further inspection, it did need a gearbox replacement. And the whole lot, the refurbished gearbox, the labour for that yeah. cost him £3,500. Oh. And... This car was £9,000 to buy. Anyone could go out and buy that car. It's just a diesel Mondeo. Why is a diesel Mondeo costing him £3,500 to repair? Yeah. There's absolutely nothing on a Mini, a classic Mini, that is going to cost you £3,500 to repair. Maybe like a full... Minus Like a full chassis exactly. restoration. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but, you're you right. Know, if you buy one and you maintain it, you know... Nothing on the Mini is going to cost you. If, you. if you restore it, obviously, you're expecting big costs. Yeah. But this is just a gearbox. Yeah. I just, it just blew my mind. And I was like, I could quite easily go out and own a Mondeo, thinking I was being sensible. You know, I'll buy a diesel because I commute, you know, if, if it suits you. It's more economical. It's an estate. It's very practical. You know, it's built like a tank. Feels like a tank when you drive it. And yeah. then bang. You know, two or three years into ownership, he's hit with a three and a half thousand pound bill. And I don't know about you, but how how many people out there have three and a half thousand pounds to just spend on their gearbox? No. Yeah. Because you know, I certainly do not. When I'm saving for a house, I would not want to spend three and a half thousand pounds of my deposit on a fucking gearbox. It's just, it's just uh, so frustrating. Yeah, I felt I, so I, bad for him. I've been through the same experience with the Megam, which is a modern car whose clutch and flywheel needed replacing. Yeah, and it set me back just over two grand. So, yeah, I totally agree. So there you go. There's very little on an on a, a simpler, older car yeah. that can go wrong that will set you back that kind of money. Yeah, because a clutch and a gearbox on a classic Mini, if you find, you know, it's just, I don't know the figures off the top of my head, but it's not going to be anywhere near that much, is it? No, unlikely. You're right, and it's Which, easier to do stuff yourself. Yeah. But I guess it just depends on, like, it's, I guess the point is that the Mondeo is fine if it doesn't go wrong and the likelihood of it going wrong is relatively yeah. slim. I think he was probably unlucky more than anything else. Yeah. If it's like you're right, it shouldn't be happening all the time. You shouldn't you shouldn't be buying a what what plate was it like 2012? It's a 12 plate, yeah. 12 plate, yeah. Yeah. Um you're buying a 12 plate Auto Mondeo and if you look up on the forums and it's always like those power drive auto gearboxes break down every week. Yeah then, I mean, that shouldn't be happening no. in a modern car. But if it does go wrong and something goes really south really quickly, then, yeah, it can be really expensive. And yeah. that does worry me, actually, with the Beamer, yeah. to be fair. that Yeah, that's what I was going to say. As, it, as amazing as it is technologically and how fantastic as it, as it is, that gearbox, if it goes wrong, 
It's not likely to. It doesn't commonly, especially if you look after it, which I intend to. Well, it's, it's highly regarded as one of the best gearboxes on the on the planet. Yeah, is but that, that doesn't mean speed. that it's not, not going to go wrong. No. And if it does, you're right, it could... That will set you back more than three and a half pounds, I, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It'll cripple me. It would. Um, so, but is you that not just an issue? entire loan just to pay for a gearbox. <laughs> Isn't that just an issue that everyone comes into like with modern cars? And that is actually, I think, the point you're making, really, which is that modern cars are expensive if they go wrong, but modern cars also don't go wrong that often. No. Um, so, I don't know. If you buy a classic Mini, it's going to go wrong every week. In some way, yeah. In some small way that will set you back fifty quid here, here yeah. you know, two hundred quid there. But I mean, that's money I'd happily spend because it's such yeah. a pure driving experience. Yeah, it looks fantastic. It turns heads. It makes everybody smile. Yeah, you know, it's just such a happy and cheerful car. And you know, if you if you're spending, the thing is with that, right? As an enthusiast, if the brakes go, for example. You can think, okay, well, it's X amount for standard replacement brakes. How much is a big brake upgrade? Yeah. You're not going to be thinking how much is a, a better gearbox. How can I put a racing flywheel on this car? You know, if it's already costing you three and a half grand. Yeah. You know, the difference between um, replacement parts on a Mini and improving the Mini is, is going to be a small gap. Yeah. And it might make you mod the car tastefully if it does go wrong. Oh, what fun. There you go. What fun. Yeah. Well. So that's why I'm leaning towards an older, cheaper car to repair, like a classic Mini. Yeah, especially if you're happy to just accept the fact that you're going to spend some money yeah. fixing it quite frequently. Yeah. And when you're not, your commute's short and you're not relying on it for transportation all the time. That's it. Then why not? Yeah. Absolutely. The way to that's go. That's it. I'm so lucky at the moment with a tiny little commute to work and back. Yeah. Um, you know, 10 minutes yeah. is not very much, is it, at all. No. So I can definitely, you know, th you know th you, you'll be, I'll be, I'll be repairing it less often. Yeah. Um, any, just anyway, because the commute's so small. Oh, man. Um, I'm excited. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see that coming up. But I'm also thinking about um, just blowing my entire budget and <laughs> monthly on a e92 m3 with <laughs> yeah, a big four liter v8 i sent you a picture you sent me the I? picture yeah oh my god i got I was a, a line of text i might actually read out the text conversation because i thought <laughs> it was quite funny at the time okay this is me texting you yeah what did you send about me about the bmw it's all cars mate we need to talk about other things yeah <laughs> there's a tree there that's nice so i'm hankering for one of these again and there's a twenty-one thousand pound <laughs> IV8 DCT M3 from 2012. Mine would be the manual, though, to be fair. So Which would be the manual. So it'd be a bit, little, bit, little bit cheaper. So I said, thing of beauty, that V8, no. <laughs> and then I yeah, asked, would, cool. they, would you get the manual? Are they drastically more expensive? And he was like, manuals are cheaper. Definitely get the manual. So tempted with my little journey. Hardly any miles on it. I've always wanted to own an M car. And then I said, what if it shits itself? <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, nah, it wouldn't be happening anytime soon. It's just hard to justify an M3 when your car is just as fast and does twice the miles per gallon. This is the M140i we're talking about Yeah, now. does absolutely not sound as good though. No, it doesn't. So what you're saying is you'd want to spend the same money, which will get you an M140i, on, a, on an M3 for the noise. Yeah, for the noise, yep, yeah, 100%. No other things. Why not? Well, a short 10-minute blast of work, I mean, it's not going to be... Is it going to be costing me a fortune in no, fuel? No, it isn't. But the tax is like, like <laughs> 500 oh a year. The it? tax is insane. How much the, is the tax on your car? Uh, 150. Okay, yeah, the tax on that is 500 pounds. I, I average year. 33 to the gallon in my car. Yeah. And I on frequently my commute, drive like a knob. Yeah. If I drove like a knob in an M, in, in a E92 M3, yeah. I'm not going to be getting much over 10 miles to the gallon. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you're really not. Um, so it's, it's, it's the bit when you were, you were like, uh, it doesn't look as nice as, mine doesn't look as nice as the E92. I agree. E92 does look very good. Um, but then you said it's cheaper to buy in tax. Oh God, the tax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Unfortunately, tax the tax is absolutely 500 pounds. Ridiculous on those M3s. Pounds. I don't know, man. It would be cool to own but when you look at the figures it's just not quite as fast as it really should be no somehow. that's yeah it's true it is true 
and and it has to be said an outdated interior yeah compared to yours yeah with a nice slim m steering wheel that you've got in there yeah the I like wide that one. touch with the wide screen not touch screen but the wide screen at least yeah um yeah so it's it's all up in the air at the moment obviously yeah. that's going to be very difficult to persuade yeah Nicola to get a nice big v8 sports car yeah somehow i doubt you're going to do much convincing but then that. i was thinking oh, i'll just own it for six months then because you can spend you know 250 quid on six months worth of tax own it <laughs> blast it for six months not do a single service or anything and then sell it on yeah that that's a potential true. thing isn't it could that, that is that is true that's a thing you could do it's not not an easy thing though not particularly moral thing to do but you know well, who cares? there's nothing amoral about that you just the tough bit comes from the effort that you'd have to put into buying it so finding it sourcing it buying well, it buying doing the all that cheapest stuff. one if and i'm then, only if it's only six months i can find the cheapest one on the market doesn't matter about mileage or anything and i just need to have my fingers crossed every single day for those six months that it doesn't shit itself yes but then you'd struggle to sell it because you'd have bought the cheapest one yes but it's the cheapest one therefore i can sell it and it'll be the cheapest one on the market still but not like no one buys everyone the cheapest wants one. the cheapest one no they don't <laughs> Not with a four-litre V8 uh, 2012 M3. Who's going out there thinking, yeah, that oh, one's got 140,000 like miles. It'll have like 10 owners on the, on the logbook as yeah. well, won't it? Yeah, like no service history. No service history. Curbed up like aftermarket alloys. Well, hey, what are you saying? <laughs> well, I'm saying it'll have curbed aftermarket alloys. That's no, exactly well, I, Obviously, I'd buy a standard one. I wouldn't buy one with terribly aftermarket wheels. Well, that would be the cheapest one then, wouldn't it? Well... Okay, the cheapest standard one then. The cheapest untouched one. Yeah, the cheapest untouched one. Oh, so now you're adding in extra things. One parameter, thank you very much. Oh, okay, right, okay. Good Lord. 140,000 miles. Well, who cares? It's only six months. Yeah. And think of the content. Every week, there'll be an update on the M3. How's the M3 doing? Well, it shut itself, unfortunately, (laughs) a week after I bought it. The thing I said I hoped wouldn't happen. We're going to be those people who buy cars to get content. Oh, God, yeah, I just heard myself back. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. I apologise. Well, right. At the same time, I don't apologise because it would be entertaining, I think. I think it would be great fun. All right, well, there you go, listeners. I think we can call it a day there. Yeah. End on a high note. James is going to be buying a DCT M3. In no way is this a verbally binding contract. Four litre V8. <laughs> no. He's going to be buying it, owning it for six months and selling it on. And he's not going to... Can James do this without telling his girlfriend and hide the car? (laughs) I wonder what she'd say if I just turned up. I could probably say it was a four-cylinder, really economical diesel engine. Sure. Does it sound like that, though? Depends. Does it sound like that, though? Not (laughs) really. And you can't hide those quad exhausts. No. The bump in the bonnet, the flared wheel arches. Stop it. The Stop vents it. just behind the front wheel arches. Oh, it's oh, a good you're looking making car. Me, you're making me want one even more now. <laughs> just aesthetically, it's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty ludicrous. Right. But, yeah. Well, we'll put a pin in that then, shall we? Put a pin in that. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening. Thanks, everyone. We've been going for over an hour now. Oh, sorry. So we're supposed to be a short, chilled out one. <laughs> it was chilled, though. It was chilled. We didn't have too much that was predefined. Quite no. like that. That's good. It's very good. Yeah, follow us on uh, on Twitter and Instagram um, at Zero Traction and at Zero Traction Podcast, respectively. And uh, yeah, I suppose we'll uh, catch you in the next one. Catch you on the flip side. Peace. <laughs> no. No. Peace. No. <laughs>